I uh, titled today's sermon, Love the Lord, Loving the Brethren and Rejecting the World. Um, but having uh, having gone through it, we won't be getting to uh, verses 16 and or 15 to 17 um, and looking at rejecting the world just uh, for the sake of time. So we're really going to be focusing on love, loving Christ and loving one another. Now, two Sundays ago in the evening, um, we looked at the first chapter of 1 John and also covered the first two verses in, in the second chapter. So just for a, a quick recap and, and update for those who weren't there in the evening, uh, this letter is written to believers who have suffered at the hands of false teachers. And these false teachers attacked the doctrine of Christ's humanity. They denied um, the fact that he took on human nature. They denied that he was fully God and, and fully man. So um, in chapter 1, John makes it, it clear that Christ was fully God and fully human. He spoke about what it looks like to be in fellowship with Christ if we claim to believe in him. And it's going to be uh, similar today, but with a fo- focus on loving Christ and loving one another. Uh, and as I said, I was going to finish in verse 17, but we won't have time, but we will look at, at that in a couple of weeks' time in the evening. So let's just have uh, a quick read-through of verses uh, 3 to 6, and we'll link back in with verses 1 and 2 shortly. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we, <clears throat> hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. So as we know, the, the believers that John is writing to have suffered at the hands of false teachers. And John here is giving them uh, a criteria uh, to spot them, and also to remind the church what it means to be in Christ. And we know what Matthew 7, um, what Jesus taught about false prophets, false teachers. In verses 15, we won't, for sake of time, we won't look, I'll just uh, give a, a summary. In verses 15 to, to 20, Jesus stated that you'll recognise false teachers by their fruits. So John is now giving a criteria of these fruits. First fruit is that a believer will keep Christ's commandments. John is saying there will be a visible fruit that we will see. That is keeping uh, the commandments of God. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So in verse 3 John is showing that the church, what the church, to the church, what it looks like to know Christ. The false teachers have, have come appearing to be believers, but preaching a false view of Christ. They're denying his humanity's new human nature, and, and the love of Christ was, was not in them. They didn't love Jesus because they were preaching a different Jesus. So John stating that if we are in Christ and believe what is written in verses 1 and 2, that is that um, we have an advocate with the Father, that's Christ, he is our righteousness, and that he is the propitiation for our sins, that he is, he, um, on him, the, the wrath of, wrath of God were, was on Christ instead of us. If we believe this, then 
surely we will keep the commandments of Christ. And in, in verse 4, John's saying, don't just accept the confession if the fruit isn't visible. You see, verse 3 and 4 is speaking of commandments. And we know, how does Jesus summarise the, the Ten Commandments? Matthew 22. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy, thy mind. And he goes on to say, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. We will love Christ, we will love one another. So it's suggesting here that if someone isn't loving, and remember what we looked at earlier in, in the service, what actually true love is, if someone isn't loving, then we would say that their confession isn't consistent with their walk. As Johnny's saying here, that the person may not even know Christ, they are lying if they are not showing love. So in terms of fruit, if, if a tree could talk, and said to you that it was an apple tree and the fruit hanging there was was mouldy old pears. You'd, well, the tree's clearly not an apple tree. You would say the tree is a liar. We could say the same, and I'll explain why I give this example shortly, with um, if somebody stood before you and said, I am a woman, and they had legs like a tree trunk, built like a barn door and shovels for hands and a huge Adam uh, Adam's apple like a cricket ball, that... We would say clearly, that is not true. It doesn't, it doesn't go together with what they are confessing. And the reason I gave that example is because in the world, that would be seen as an unloving thing to do, as we spoke about. You can't say such things. You can't deny somebody's identity. You would not be loving that person. But we know from Scripture, if you truly love you would speak truth for the benefit of that person. So we can't go along along with lies. And and again, it comes back to the de- definition of um, of what what love is. So, like with the examples, if somebody confesses to be a Christian but does not walk in love, we will say that their walk is inconsistent with Scripture. And verse 5 shows us why that is the case. If a person isn't loving Christ or others in the biblical definition of love, then it's suggesting that, that God isn't in them. Because if he was, then they would keep the commandments and the love of God would be in them. And then verse 6 tells us that if we are in Christ, then we should be walking like Christ. So verses 3 to 6 basically say, look, be like Jesus. That is the fruit of knowing him. It means we will, commit, we will meet and keep the commandments. But as we look at that and we keep these, in, these verses in isolation, as I said the other week, this is, is terrifying. Because if we, if we claim to do that, we are damned. We are damned to despair because... In reality, we realise that we cannot keep the commandments that the Lord has commanded us. The, uh, and what John is saying here. We are damned to, to our pride and arrogance if we believe that we have done this and that we are not sinning. We'll become unjustifiably arrogant if we believe that we can keep these commandments perfectly. But again, context is important. We need to understand the context of what John is writing. In chapter 1, verse, um, verse, verse um, 
uh, 8 um, to 10. And then again in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, um, we looked at these a couple of Sundays ago, gives us the hope and the truth that we need when looking at these verses in 3 to 6 and also later on in verses 9 to 11. They say, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. John is writing this here, so Christians do not sin. John is doing similar to what Paul did in Romans 6. He's speaking all of grace. Your, sin, your sins have been dealt with. Your sins have been dealt with in Christ. In Christ, past, present and future sins have been paid for on the cross. And like in Romans, an argument may come, someone may attack this truth and say, well, if that is the case, I can live as I like. No. If you think and believe that, then you have not understood the gospel. John wrote these verses that the the Christian would understand the severity of their sin. And there would be a fight against the flesh, the desires of the flesh. If we do sin, which we will do, as as, um, Glenn mentioned earlier at communion, the commandments are to to love our God and to to love our neighbour. As he said earlier, it's not a case of, oh, I forgot to do it then. It's a continuous. We continuously break these commandments. And if we isolated the text here, it would mean that actually we're liars and not of the faith. But... We go back to the start of chapter 2. If we, if we do sin, which we do, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who is a propitiation for our sins. Our sin is only dealt with in Christ. He took his suffering and his death for our sins to be dealt with. See, faith and trust in Christ means that we have understood the cost of our sins. And we know that the cost was Christ suffering greatly. That the, so that the wrath of God would be appeased. That understanding of the cross and the change of heart only comes if the love of God is in us. Then there will be a desire to keep God's commandments. And if that fruit is evident in us, in our lives, if we show uh, an example of, of loving God and uh, loving our, our brothers and sisters, it's not of our doing. It is of Christ's doing. John fifteen five, Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So what John has said here in these few verses, we cannot accomplish. If we do, it is only because of what Christ is doing in us. And again, it will be tainted with our sins, but our sin has been dealt with. So if we show any love, any love at all, it is because Christ is living in us. We bear the fruit because we are connected to Christ. He dwells in us. So in coming to Christ, we are saved, we are sustained and we are sanctified. Again, when we show love to God or others, it's because of Christ. And if our walk at all resembles Christ in any way, even for a moment, that is because Christ is in us. So verse, verses 3 to 6 point, point us to examine ourselves 
and others under the light of God's command. And there will be fruit if Christ is in us. And there will be repentance when our sins are revealed and when we are rebuked because Christ is at work in the believer. So that's why Christ tells us in Matthew 18 to do all that we can do to bring a singing, sinning brother to repentance by speaking with them alone and then with others and then bringing them before the church. If they refuse, then they are treated as a Gentile or tax collector, meaning that they are removed from church. That's the examination of, of their walk. We would say their walk is not consistent with what scripture teaches. So whilst we cannot judge someone's salvation, we can, to a certain extent, under the light of Scripture, know, know them by their fruits and, and seek to help them. So verses 3 to 6 serve as a warning that there should be a desire to keep the Lord's commandments. And where that is achieved, it's not of the person, but of Christ. And then... John here moves on to verses, uh, the next few verses, 7 uh, to 8. And this is, uh, it speaks of an old commandment and a new commandment. Listen here. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. So this is the groundwork for, for what is stated in verses 9 to 11 in regards to loving our brothers and, and Christ. It's all in, in amongst this here. Now the old commandment in verse 7 is debated between commentators. Um, but I, I believe that the, we can see this in, in two ways. For, for those that, that were, were Jewish in origin that have come to, to Christ, this could refer to the Old Te- Testament teaching in Leviticus 19.18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbour as th- thyself. Um, and for the Gentile Christian, it refers to when they first heard the gospel at the, at the start of the Christian era, when they were told that they must love thy neighbour. And it's also a new commandment. But how can it be old and how can it be new? Well, it's also new because it is true in Christ and having its outworking now in the believer. The darkness is now past and the light now shines in them. So it is a new commandment because they are a new person. They are new in Christ. The old has died, the new has come to life. So John is bringing them back to the work of Christ in the believer. He's continuously pushing them towards Christ. So John has shown shown the Christians that Christ has dealt with their sins, past, present and future. The judgment and punishment for them has now been placed on Christ. And he's making it clear now that that faith in Christ, there will come a connection with Christ. Christ is at work in them. He's refining them and he's showing them the love of him. He is is creating the the love of Christ in them. And then the outworking of that is found in verses 9 to 11. So we've seen earlier on that we are called and commanded to love the Lord our God. And now he speaks of loving the brethren, brethren, loving 
one another. We'll just go through verses 9 to 11 now. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. So John goes back again to the method of comparing someone's confession with their work, with their walk. Verse 9, if someone claims to be of Christ, yet walks in darkness by hating his brethren, by hating his brothers and sisters in Christ, they're not of Christ. But the world, the darkness, the devil is in them. Again, we can slide in that in one way or another, and we, and we do. But again, we are pushed back to verses 1 and 2. If we are confronted with our sin, if we are not loving the brethren, we have an advocate, we have a saviour who has dealt with that. We re- repent, we seek forgiveness, and we rely on God, his word, the Holy Spirit, to sanctify us through the word of God and, and, and seek out the heart of love for Christ to love our brothers and sisters. And in verse 10, John shows that when we love our brethren, we're of Christ and we do not, co- and by that we are not seeking to cause harm or stumbling to our brother. We will rejoice in their triumphs. We will weep with them when they suffer. We will encourage, we will rebuke and exhort them because we love them. And again, as we spoke of earlier, this is agape love. This is love in action. This is sacrificial. This is for the better interest of the other person. But again, that is defined, the better interest is defined by scripture, not by feelings or our fleshly desires. And if we do this, we are loving because Christ has loved us. He is at work in us there. Well, verse 11, as for those who, who hate, they're unknowingly walking in darkness. This does not mean that they are not, um, they're not to, to be judged for their sins, that it is, it is an excuse for them. But their pride makes them believe that they are right, even when they are confronted with truth. They are blind believing that they can see. They walk in darkness believing it is the light. Black is white, white is black. They do not know truth. The reason for that is because Christ is not in them. There will be no repentance. There will be no turning to Christ and seeking him and asking him and, and, and praying that they will be able to love their brothers. It's because they do not know Christ. So John is showing that the false teachers that, that came in, they were denying the humanity of, of Christ. They were truly in the dark. They may very well have taught what they taught, believing their own lies. They preached heresy, possibly believing it was truth. But this was not just ignorance, but it was sin. It was a sin nature. For in them they had rejected Christ, the true Christ, and his love was not in them. And this damaged the church. This was harming the church. And that's why John is writing to them. So John has told them, look, Love Christ, look to Christ. And in that, love one another. And again, this is for us today as well. But again, whilst we still walk this earth, there is a battle against the flesh. And we will continue to sin. We will not love God as we should. 
We will not love one another as we should. But there should be a desire to do that. There should be a leaning on Christ because we know what he has done for us. Our faith is in him. So like we see, we have the commands to love God, to love one another. And again, John doesn't say, do it in your own strength. He's pointing us towards Christ and saying, depend on him. He points them to the one, the only one that can help, their precious saviour. And he does this by reminding them of what Christ has done. And again, this is very, very much, as with all the scripture for us today. When we do not love one another, when we do not love God as we should, we run to Christ. And then John moves further on and, and he, he points them, he draws them back to the truths of what it means to know Christ. We're just going to look at verses 12 to 14 now. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So John starts here with the children. What he means by this is those that are new believers, babes in Christ. He's saying, remember, your sins are forgiven. Christ on the cross has dealt with your sin. You are no longer guilty. You are no longer under condemnation. Christ has saved you from your sins. And again, that is a reminder and that will bring joy to the hearer. And again, this is for us. Today, our sins have been forgiven in Christ. He then moves on to the fathers. That is the mature in the faith. The battle had in Christians, the one who is the ones who have persevered in Christ. He says to them, You know him who is from the beginning. John is saying, But you know Christ. Remember him. You know him. It's not a case of you know of him. You know him intimately. He's reminding them of their relationship to Christ. We know him. We know him, the one who was from the beginning. We know the Alpha and the Omega. We know the wonderful counsellor. We know God himself. John then moves on to the younger people and he says, I write, <clears throat> I write to you because you have overcome Satan. In Christ, we have overcome Satan. Not of our own doing. It's not us. It is of Christ. And Satan no longer owns us. We are no longer a slave to him. We are a slave to Christ. And what a master we have. Our master is the one who has laid his life down for us. John then goes back to the new believers. You know the Father. In Christ, you now have fellowship with the Father. We have fellowship with the Father. We cannot take this lightly. John then again speaks to the older heads, the mature believers. He repeats to them what he said in verse 13. We cannot take for granted the fact that we personally know Christ. If your faith is in Christ, you know him. You know him and he knows you. 
The creator knows you. He knows your thoughts, your fears, your joys. He abides in you and you in him. And he's reminding, John here is reminding the church of this wonderful truth. And then John moves back again to the young people. In Christ you are strong. Not speaking physically, but spiritually. In Christ you are able to fight against the flesh. And again, you have overcome the wicked one. Again, this is not of our own doing. This is of Christ. Before we were saved, we were owned by our flesh. But now Christ help us, helps us and leads us and, and equips us to battle against our flesh. So where we overcome the flesh, that is of Christ. But all of this passage from, from verses 1 to 14 is about loving Christ and loving one another. And this is the fruit of salvation. Again, it's not in our own strength, by our own determination, but by the one who is our advocate, the one who is a propitiation for our sins, whose love is in us. It's not a love of ourselves. It's not something that we have conjured up. It's the love of Christ. And it's because he died on the cross that our sins are forgiven and he dwells in us. So he is the one who we know, we know intimately. He's enabled us to overcome this wicked world and he gives us the strength to persevere. It is all in Christ. It is all of Christ. Now initially, as I said, I wanted to to look at loving Christ, loving the brethren and rejecting the world because it all links together. But as I said, this will um, come next time. But for now, we can dwell on the knowledge of what Christ has done and what he continues to do and what he calls us to do only in his strength. So we come to depend on Christ, as John has done here. Our eyes should be pointed back to Christ and we we seek his strength so that we can love the Lord our God and to love one another.